Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to today's broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're speaking about a topic that is, well, it's a topic that's drawing a lot of attention throughout Indian country and throughout the world. We're speaking about one of the leading mental illnesses worldwide. Some would even argue it is the single greatest mental illness as far as morbidity and mortality. We're speaking, of course, about depression. To help us on that journey is a author and speaker by the name of Jeff Zaremski. Jeff, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you, David. Glad to be here. Jeff, I mean, this topic is one that is, I'll tell you, it's one that's touched so many people, but I know it's touched you in some very personal ways. Tell our listeners about your personal connection with depression. Sure. And before I guess I get into myself, you're right. And it's not only touching many people, but it is touching people more and more at an alarming rate of increase. Uh, and not only that the numbers are increasing, but the age where it's happening, the age where it's where people are becoming depressed is lower and lower. The average age is lowering, and that is alarming as well. You know, children should be happy-go-lucky and enjoying life and carefree, and depression is starting to hit the lower uh, age limits as well. And that's problematic. No, I agree with you. I agree with you totally, Jeff. And this is why it is such an issue in Indian country and beyond. And again, it's one of these conditions like so many that we feature on the show. It's not a native issue. It's a human issue. And of course, it is impacting Indian country in major ways. But you personally have been impacted by depression in your own family. Tell us a little bit about that. My paternal grandmother uh, suffered from depression. Her sister committed suicide, uh, and the family was always fearful a long, long time ago. Uh, was, the family was always fearful that then my grandmother would do the same. And so they you know, had her uh, on, on medication for it and walked around pins and needles around her. Uh, and she lived to 101 years old and uh, did quite well. Um, and... On my mother's side, my mother was depressed. Uh, my mother was on disability or depression um, from Social Security dis uh, disability. And she had attempted suicide. She rammed her car into a bridge, hoping that it would kill her. And so, yeah, we ha I have it on both sides of the family. So, Jeff, you were surrounded by an environment of, uh, you might say, people who've struggled with depression you are someone also who has a deep cultural heritage. I know a lot when I speak with folks in Indian country, they talk about how deep their roots are, maybe with a single tribe, maybe how they've grown up on a reservation. Uh, maybe their family has been on that reservation for many years. Your cultural heritage is a little bit different, but it's also a very deep heritage. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, my heritage is Jewish. I have a Jewish heritage, and I guess some of the similarities are uh, strong culture, uh, strong cultural bonds, strong family bonds, um, traditions that go down way back generations. 
so that that's some parallels. So one of the things that we often talk about in Indian country is connecting with our roots, uh, helping people to to recapture some of those values that really were part and parcel of First Nation peoples historically, but there was a whole generation of Native Americans who were pulled away from their homes. Uh, you likely have heard about the boarding schools and other means that were basically done to try to make Native American youths uh, non-Native, if such a thing could even be done. So a lot of emphasis today on reconnecting, for many decades now, reconnecting with cultural heritage. And I've noticed, as I work with people across tribal lines, just this richness as people connect with their heritage, as they realize their roots, as they tap into family traditions or or, or oral histories of their tribe. You've been doing a, a very interesting project. You've written a book about it that taps into your cultural heritage as it relates to depression. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure, sure. If I can show a copy of the cover called uh, Depressed People of the Bible. And so, yeah, going back to the heritage of the Bible, which is not only my heritage, but goes back, you know, thousands of years. And so some of the people we look at in the book lived 4,000 years ago. So there's a rich heritage that really, as you said, spans cultures, spans um, nationalities and races. It's, it's really for all. It really applies to all. And that's what I loved about your book, Jeff, because you really did this. You looked at lessons from your cultural heritage that have relevance to people across demographic lines. And I just thought it would be so powerful as I was reading through it. And I'll just be honest with you. The book is written, I don't know if this was your intention, but it's written like a workbook. I could see myself taking a group of people from any cultural background, if they're willing to engage with these stories. Yes, from the Hebrew cultural tradition, I noticed that every one of the individuals you mentioned was Jewish. And some people uh, who are Christians, they say, well, that's our book, too. You know, the, the Bible's our book. But a large uh, number of the characters in the Bible are Jewish. And so it's your cultural heritage. And I like to tell folks who are tuning in today, this is uh, not designed to be a religious discourse. So, yes, Jeff is Jewish. Yes, he's talking about the Bible. But we could just as well, and I'd love to do it sometime, talk about uh, cultural heritage of someone who was uh, Cherokee or Navajo or uh, you, you understand my point, uh, Lakota. So the essence is what Jeff is seeing is things in his cultural heritage that he believes has relevance across demographic lines that help us on our journey to deal with depression. And that's what I so loved about the book. So, so back to my observation, Jeff, and I just want your feedback on it. I could envision myself taking this book. In fact, I'm even thinking about doing it and using it with some of the groups that I meet with. Do you have people using it for that? Was that part of the reason that you wrote the book the way you did? It, it became part of the, it wasn't the initial part of the book uh, reason, but uh, it became a, a part of it. And so we added uh, workbooks, uh, questions at the end of each segment and chapter uh, so that it can be in a discussion type of setting and used that way. Yes. So, again, the title of the book, have I got it correct? Uh, Depressed People of the Bible. Depressed People of the Bible. And we want to launch into this whole topic of depression 
you, Jeff, drew a lot from someone who's been a guest on my show in the past, uh, someone by the name of Dr. Neil Nedley. It's been a while since he's been on the program. But why did that approach, it's been a very successful approach for those who know of Dr. Nedley's work, but why did that especially resonate with you as you were working on this project? Well, it's the combination, it's the Bible and Dr. Nedley's research and, and findings that couple together because a lot of people, uh, you know, surprised, oh, people in the Bible uh, were depressed. Um, but the Bible is very real. It's not an autobiography where they're just telling the best parts. It's not even uh, a biography of people, again, focusing on the best parts or, or the negative parts, right? Some history history uh, writers will write just negative stuff on someone uh, or rewrite history. Uh, but the Bible is very real. It tells it as it is with the the warts and everything is showing. You know, it just paints it as it is. It doesn't uh, Photoshop any of it. it. It's there and it tells us it all. So that helps hit the human nature. And that's why it's relevant for everyone because we all are of that same nature. We all have similar traits down at heart that need that longing. And so when Dr. Nedley uh, came up with his depression and anxiety recovery program, it really is uh, earth shattering because it, it, it looks at it a different way. Uh, one of the things he, he tells you is that he's an intern, he's an internal medicine doctor. So what does that have to do with depression? He just had a lot of patients who are also depressed. And the way he was trained was to not just treat symptoms, but to uh, try and find what is the problem causing the symptoms and then to deal with that. Because if all we're doing with symptoms, you know, if a, if a patient goes into a doctor because he's got a flu and he's sneezing and the doctor prescribes a tissue to, uh, to help keep the nose from running, he's just treating symptoms and not dealing with, well, what caused the virus and how do we get rid of the flu virus? And, and so that's the same thing. So with depression, we can just treat symptoms uh, and never come to really solving the problem. Or we can try and find, well, what is the root of the problem? And then change that setting so that we can eliminate the problem, not just the symptoms. This is such a uh, great perspective, uh, Jeff, of really trying to look at the, the root causes of, of depression. And I love something that you wrote in your book. In fact, I love a lot of what you wrote in your book. It's, uh, I think, a really very practical and useful book. By the way, thanks for the copy. Uh, I'm looking at page 14. I've got an electronic edition of it in front of me. And you mentioned this statement, too often depression is thought of as an incurable disease or irreparable disability. And you go on to share why you're concerned about that attitude. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, because then it's self-defeating, right? So if, if that becomes more depressing, right? <laughs> so if I'm told I got an incurable disease, that's depressing in itself, no matter what the disease is. And so if it is depression, then, then there's no light. There's no hope. There's no way out of the cave, right? And so there's a, a second title below it, Freedom from the Cave of Depression, to the light of light. Hmm. And a lot of times depression feels like being in a cave in darkness, hopelessness. And so then if we're told there is no hope and this is what we're going to suffer for the rest of our life and know, you know, you take this medication and it might help uh, with some of the symptoms. It, that is also self defeating and depressing. Now, sometimes, I mean, that's a reality with some diseases, right? You know, you might have incurable cancer or something that you have to live with, right? You, 
like losing a leg, it's lost. Now, thankfully, we have prosthetic legs and other things that we can help, but the person never grows back that leg. Depression is different. We can change, reverse it, so that the sunniness, the cheerfulness, the real person can come back. Powerful background, and I think with that excellent background, depression, a treatable and reversible condition, some would say, You've got insights that you've drawn from Dr. Nedley's work and that you saw played out in your cultural heritage in 12 individuals. You've, you feature 12 individuals in the book. Let's jump into the first one that you highlight and spend quite a bit of time with. And we hear these names. A lot of people will say, oh, we know who that is. But we're going to talk first about Moses. He's the first person you look at in your book. Just give us a little synopsis of, of Moses' life for someone who may not be familiar with it. Yeah, Moses is interesting because, like you said, a lot of people know the name, and uh, a lot of people have that name even today, especially in Jewish circles. Uh, but a lot of people don't know that he was suicidal at one point in his life. You know, here, deliverer of Israel and all like this, uh, and he lived 120 years. But yeah, there was a point where he wanted to die. He wanted to be dead. He even asked God, take my life. And that's, uh, you know, very impactful. So Moses grew up uh, with um, some hits against him to begin with. He had some negatives hitting him right from the start. He was, ado- in a sense, adopted. He was removed from his family um, and raised by a different family in a different culture um, under unique circumstances in a palace, uh, Pharaoh's court, which has its own unique stresses, uh, having to live up, having to live in a fishbowl, being seen by everybody, being watched by everybody, and, and knowing that that, uh, that was difficult for him. We've got to step away, Jeff, but we're going to be coming back. We're going to look at Moses' story. I think you're picking up on something. Many Native Americans relate to this scenario of someone being brought up in one culture and then having to perform in another with a group of people who really don't share that As I was reading through Jeff's description, I was saying, wow, this sounds a lot like the Native American experience as it's been played out in so many contexts. A lot of practical lessons for you, you listeners, regardless of whether you're Native or not. Stay tuned because we're coming back with more from Jeff Zaremski and his book, Looking at Depression in the Bible. We'll be back right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. For 13 and one half years, I was the victim of severe child abuse. I was being beaten, cursed, and deprived of any kind of love and care. It was a big secret. Children are born to be loved, not to be abused. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. 
but these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. I'm here to warn you about telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Some of these scammers may say threatening things like you will be arrested if you don't make payments or provide personal information. Do not fall for these tricks. These calls are not from us. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you for information or money. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Never give the caller your personal information, like your Social Security number or bank account, or send money in any form, cash, gift cards, wire transfers, or prepaid debit cards. Report the call to our law enforcement arm, the Office of the Inspector General, at oig.ssa.gov. Share this information with your friends and family. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to today's edition of the program. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We are speaking with Jeff Zaremski. Jeff is the author of a book, a powerful book, that's talking about depression. He is sharing from his own cultural heritage. He is not Native, at least not a uh, Native American. His roots go back to the Middle East. He's of Jewish descent. And he's talking about individuals in his cultural heritage, the Bible specifically, or written about in the Bible, and how we can learn lessons about depression. So, Jeff, really appreciate you coming apart and doing the interview. I want to go to page 20 in your book. I'm actually turning there right now. As we're speaking, I've got my electronic copy here, and I want to read something because I highlighted this at the end of our last segment. Let me just read from what you, I think, very, very aptly wrote. In adulthood, Moses was faced with the huge dilemma of feeling a part of two worlds. He related to his adopted family of the Pharaoh's daughter and of Egyptian culture, but was also drawn to his biological Jewish heritage of the slaves. So why did that seem so poignant to you and why so important as we look at depression? Yeah, because he's being pulled. And when we're being pulled in two different directions, uh, and especially if we have to make a choice between one or the other, and that's one of the depression hits of the 10 that Dr. Nelly writes is knowing something to do and not doing it. Maybe because of peer pressure, maybe because of fears. There'll be lots of things that keep us from doing what we need to do. And Moses felt he needed to speak out regarding the slavery and to help to deliver the people. And yet he was also still felt drawn to his adopted family of the Egyptians. So probably what's especially important at this juncture, Jeff, is to talk about some of these uh, questions that you ask. And you ask them at the end of each chapter. In this chapter that included page 20, you walked the reader through some questions and maybe just engage with us on that basis. Look at a few of those questions with us and say, why does this help me today? 
looking at Moses' life, realizing that he struggled with the same things that I'm struggling with. I'm having to go to a school. Uh, maybe I'm in college. Maybe it's uh, another academic setting. I'm the only Native student, or there's just a handful of us, and I feel pulled in these two directions. In fact, some people are saying some demeaning things about people of my heritage. How do I relate to this? Help us, uh, kind of walk us through that. Okay, so on page uh, 22 and 23, where some of these questions are. So like question number two, were you separated from your family for a large period of time in your childhood? Did you have someone with whom you can speak and work out your troubles? That is real important. Moses did not. Because he couldn't speak to his adopted mother. He couldn't speak to the Pharaoh's daughter. And sometimes it's hard to think of something. And so we say, no, no one understands me. No one listens. That's part of the question, too. We can, I'm, I'm the only one in the world who's ever experienced this. But uh, if we really think it through, there might be someone. Uh, and certainly we can pray to God. Uh, have you made a mistake that caused people to turn on you? That's what Moses did. He ended up in this dilemma. He moved out in his own strength and made a big mistake. Have you ever been fired, divorced, or asked to leave a people group? And then Moses, because of his mistake, he was kicked out of Egypt. And that uh, was very traumatic to him because he still had that bond with people and love for them. And we can, uh, you know, and then if we've made mistakes, we can confess that to God, receive his forgiveness for those mistakes. And he had to leave his problems behind. Uh, You know, he couldn't take them with him. He could have. Actually, many times that's what we do. One of the things I think that was helpful to Moses was he didn't take the faults and mistakes that he made with him. And uh, certainly uh, resentment could have been an issue for him, which he, he does not seem to have taken taken with him in, into the wilderness where he ends up having to live. Yeah, so I thought it was great how you drew out in the book how Moses struggled with depression, asked God to take his life. And a lot of people have found themselves with their back against the wall, so to speak, have come to uh, similar conclusions. But the story is a great one because, of course, Moses, in your cultural, looked at as one of the great heroes, one of the great uh, individuals in your cultural heritage. For First Nation peoples who are tuning in today, you've heard those stories about people in your heritage. Or maybe you're so divorced from your Native American roots, you don't know some of those stories. I believe Jeff is making a case for all of us to connect with our cultural roots. But, Jeff, you're taking a step beyond and you're saying... Here's lessons in this book, regardless of what your cultural roots are, even if you don't know who your progenitors are, here's some lessons from real people described in the ancient Hebrew scriptures that really can help us. Let's move on to talk about the second person you feature in your book, someone by the name of Jonah. So Moses, known as the the deliverer, the one that the creator used to free his people, Jonah, if people know about him, not usually as positive uh, an association, but tell us a little bit about who Jonah was. Glad you bring out that not not always known in a positive circle, in a positive way, because that's important. Not, one of the nice things about the Bible, again, is it records about everybody, not just the good. And in this book, Depressed People of the Bible, we bring out both people who were depressed, suicidal, like Moses and others, who overcame it, but also those like Jonah and Judas, who don't overcome it. And it's important for us to learn lessons from their mistakes as well. And even people who did overcome it made mistakes, like we mentioned Moses. And so as we look at whatever our heritage, whatever our background, we don't want to idolize anyone and put them up on a pedestal. We need to realize we can learn from their positive traits and we can learn from their negative traits as well. We can learn from their right choices. We can learn from their mistakes. 
And so Jonah made a lot of mistakes. And the title of that chapter is A Classic Example. And Jonah is a classic example of depression. So why do you say Jonah is a classic example? I mean, most people, when they hear about Jonah, they say, well, I, I know a little bit about the story. He was supposed to give a message uh, of judgment to this uh, this people group, the, the Ninevites, and uh, he didn't want to do it. And I think many people just who know the Bible as literature, they would say, yeah, I've heard the story. I mean, they throw him overboard. He gets you know swallowed by a giant fish and then spewed out. But why is he such an example of depression? Help us. Yes, because he rejects that call to go and to minister to the Ninevites. And with understandable reason, the Ninevites were persecuting the Jewish people at that point. The Ninevites, the Assyrians were very powerful and they'd come in and they'd raid Israel and rape the women, take, uh, take them captive, steal the harvest, no doubt slaughtered, killed people, took people as slaves. So they were a, a mean people group. They were known as a mean people group and they were in particular mean to, to the Israelites. And no doubt Jonah knew people who were either killed, raped, taken captive, abused, stolen from, and maybe it happened in his personal family. It might have even had some loss among himself. And so he didn't want to go and warn them of the destruction to come, maybe because he felt that God might forgive them. I don't want to go see them at anything. I don't want to talk to them at all. He just didn't want anything to do with them. So he goes in the opposite direction. So he knows what he's supposed to be doing. He hears God's calling. And he rejects it. And that's a, where a lot of it starts in a lot of our lives, knowing what we should be doing and not doing it. And that starts him on that path. He runs away and he's in this ship and there's a storm that breaks out and uh, it, the waves are raging. It's on a small wooden ship and it's tossed to and fro. These big, strong sailors who are used to this, they're scared for their life. They're crying out. They're throwing stuff overboard. They're dragging heavy boxes, no doubt, across the, the ship and throwing them overboard. No doubt a lot of noise going on. Storm, lightning, thunder, rain. He's sleeping in the bottom of the ship. I say, how could you sleep through that? But when we're depressed, we can sleep through anything, right? We just feel so fatigued. We don't want to know. And he probably was thinking, man, good, maybe the ship will go down and I'll end my misery. And would have been happy for it, thinking. Uh, but God steps in and God says, no. I'm not done with you, Jonah. And the story is, is God's love for Nineveh, but it's also God's love for Jonah. That God never gave up on Jonah. Certainly he could have found someone just as unwilling to go as, he, as Jonah. But he said, no, I want you. And he wants each of us. God keeps calling each of us. He never gives up. And even though Jonah ran. And since Jonah's suicidal, he tells them, throw me overboard. Kill me. Let me die. Let me drown. And that'll solve your problems, and the storm will go away. So he really didn't know the mercy and love of God. He only knew of a God of judgment. God is angry at me for running away, throw me overboard, kill me, and then God's wrath will be satisfied. And so sometimes we have a distorted view of God. So that's another classic thing. He's thinking God is just punishing him for bad. When God was allowing negative stuff to happen, not out of hatred towards Jonah, but out of love towards Jonah, he's trying to get him back. He's trying to wake him up. He's trying to wake him from his, his depression, wake him out of his sleep and get him back on course because he knows this assignment is good for Jonah. This is just a powerful message. Some of you immediately relating to it because you're from a, a Jewish or maybe even a Christian heritage. Uh, 
Maybe that's a religious belief system that you embraced or that your, your parents or grandparents have embraced and handed down to you. But others of you from First Nation backgrounds, you say, well, that kind of sounds distancing. Yes, I believe in a creator or a great spirit, but I don't believe in this God who uh, Jeff is talking about in the Bible. I would say listen to the message because the message, I think, is one, as I've talked with people from varying cultural traditions throughout Indian country and beyond, and we'll come back to this Indian country connection in our next segment. As I've talked, though, with with people from various cultural traditions, many of them do have this view of a loving creator, a creator that is seeking his children and his people. I want to tell you something in our next segment about a friend of mine. Uh, some of you know him, Fred Rogers. He's been a guest on the show uh, from a Cherokee background. Tell you some interesting things where he connects his background with some of the Jewish traditions. We'll come back to Jeff and depression and some of these characters in the Bible. A lot of practical lessons. Stay tuned. More coming up in the second half of today's edition of the broadcast. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. The most negative thinking in my childhood was the things said to me. I felt like I was a bag of garbage waiting to go to the dump. Please, moms and dads, put a watch on your mouth as you relate to your children. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Papa, why can't we telegraph while riding a horse? Son, there ain't no one to blame but Jeffro. He was riding old Betsy the Stallion, tip-tapping away at his telegraph, when blam, ran right into the side of the saloon. Well, if Jeffro can't do it, neither should you. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Heard-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Every year, hundreds of teens drown. If your teen hasn't learned to swim yet, it's never too late. Even if your teen is a strong swimmer, make sure to supervise kids of any age. No one should swim alone. Teach them to enter the water feet first, wear life jackets on a boat, and never use alcohol or drugs on the water. Drowning is preventable. For more, visit HealthyChildren.org. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. 
You are back with Dr. David DeRose as we continue with our second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living Radio. I'm speaking with Jeff Zaremski. Jeff is the author of the book, Depressed People of the Bible. And if you're just joining us, this may sound like a strange topic on a show dedicated to Native Americans, but it is a topic that is right on point. I mentioned before the break, if you were with us, my friend Fred Rogers, a Cherokee tribal member. Fred, he and I had the privilege of doing a number of things over the years together. One of them was with the Lumbee Nation some years ago in the Carolinas. And Fred was sharing about his Cherokee roots, his cultural heritage, and what he was sharing. He, I wasn't prompting him. He was talking about how he had studied also the very same culture that Jeff is telling us about, the, the Hebrew culture, the, the Jewish heritage. And he was saying that he had found all kinds of parallels in his Cherokee traditions and the Hebrew traditions. My point is not necessarily, if uh, you're from another tribal background, that you're going to necessarily see immediate connections. But I hope you're seeing connections as Jeff is walking us through some of these stories with real-life issues that affect us regardless of what our background is. Jeff, you and I were speaking off-air about an issue that Jonah's story brings into focus. It has to do with the topic of forgiveness. This is so important today. It especially affects us when we speak about cultural abuse. Help us understand why this is so important. Yes, and that's where he's also a classic example because he can't forgive himself. That's why he thinks... I need to be thrown overboard. And the reason he doesn't want to go to Nineveh to help them is because he doesn't forgive them. And then even as God shows mercy upon them, then he's angry at God and he's not forgiving God. <laughs> We're not doing what he wanted God to do uh, to the Ninevites to destroy them. He's blessing Nineveh and he didn't like that. So this forgiveness, and it's important because we have a warped sense. Many of us have a warped sense of forgiveness. We've been taught in the United States anyway a false forgiveness. For example, we say the loan was forgiven, which means then the debt doesn't have to be paid. That is not biblical forgiveness. That's not true forgiveness. And when we have that concept, we don't want to forgive those who hurt us. Why would I want to say it's okay? We even say that, you know, you bump into someone and, and they say, you know, uh, oh, you say, oh, I'm sorry. And they say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, oh, it was nothing. But when a wrong happens, a real wrong happens, we don't want to say, oh, it's all right. Don't worry about it. True forgiveness calls out wrongs. Right, David, if I called you one day out of the blue and said, David, you know, I've been thinking about our last conversation and I wanted to let you know, I forgive you. What would be what come to your mind? Forgive me for what? Did I offend you somehow? Right. Did I offend you? What did I do wrong? Right. We don't forgive people for doing good. We only forgive people who did wrong. And so by saying, I forgive you, we are saying you did something wrong, but, and I may hold you accountable for it, right? So if you still owe me money, I still want to get paid back. You still wrecked my car. I want you to make restitution for that. But while I'm still expecting justice be done, I may have to have you arrested. I may have to have you, you know, criminally charged, whatever. I'm still seeking justice. Forgiveness does not eliminate justice. Forgiveness still seeks justice, but at the same time, it does not hold on to anger and bitterness and want revenge. I don't want to wreck your car. I don't want to do worse to you. I just want equal restoration for what was done. And that's true forgiveness. 
through forgiveness is I'm not going to let your wrong destroy my life. I appreciate so much your emphasis there, Jeff, because I think so many people hold on to legitimate, we would say legitimate mistreatment, legitimate abuse, legitimate uh, insult, uh, racial slurs, whatever we might want to put on that list, especially, you know, in Indian country, some of these things are keenly felt. And I appreciate the point you're making. It doesn't mean that we don't expect justice to be meted out, but we're not going to hold a grudge. We're not going to want revenge. We're going to want things uh, brought into to harmony, if you will, things made right. So with that background, it really brings us to another character. The next uh, person in your cultural heritage that you focused on was uh, Elijah. And I say it brings us to Elijah because there's a lot in Elijah's story that ties in with justice and that ties in with, with some of these themes and even the theme of forgiveness. Help us understand why, well, first of all, for those who may not know more than the name of Elijah, give us a little synopsis of who Elijah was and then some lessons that can help us with depression. Right. And yeah, in Bible circles, Elijah is a big name because he had a lot and did a lot. Uh, but he also was suicidal. He also had a period where he prayed for God to take his life. Uh, so it's not unusual. It's not, um, not necessarily even wrong to have thoughts of life would be easier for me if I wasn't alive. Right. Um, you know, so that's okay. Uh, as long as we then take it for what it is and, uh, work on working through what is causing us to, to feel like life would be easier if I was dead. Because life is not always so great, right? We're in a fallen planet. It's a tough world. It's a tough life. And so to be uh, thinking, oh, everything is wonderful. I'm just going to be happy. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to be happy. Well, that's not reality, right? We have to worry at times. There are things we have to fear. There are real problems in this world. And we can't just be happy because of it. We need to face them. And so it's okay to acknowledge that there's problems and then face them. And that's what Elijah ends up doing is facing the problems. So one of the things he had to do was he had to rebuke a king who was who killed someone, stole their property, and he had to bring justice. But again, he did it out of love. He was wanting Ahab to come along and and um, and to receive forgiveness of God uh, and to do justice and make it right and then to be in harmony together. I love this point because, see, if we misunderstand forgiveness and we think we let people off the hook as far as any consequences at all, we're really doing them a disservice. If someone has wronged someone, if they've hurt us, if they've hurt a culture, if they've hurt a people, there needs to be restitution for healing to take place, not just among the people that were abused, but to bring healing for the abuser. I really love that focus. and It really comes out, I think, clearly in the book. Have you gotten that feel from other people who've read through uh, your book? Yes. Uh, proper understanding of forgiveness is very healing healing. So, Jeff, we've been speaking about the book, Depressed People of the Bible. Folks have been saying, well, how do I get a copy of the book? They may be wanting to connect with you as well. Uh, give us some contact information, please. Sure. The book is available through all the major booksellers, online booksellers, uh, so you can get it that way. Or you can get it directly from us, and that's how you can contact me. Also, uh, one of our websites is jewishheritage.net. Okay, let me see if I've got this correct. JewishHeritage.net. That will get me the book and also perhaps connect with you. 
Correct. There's a lot of stuff on there, but if they go to the store, they'll find the book in the store there. And then, yes, a way to contact me through there as well. Beautiful. So you've got a point of contact with Jeff. I want to move on to another story. Of course, you mentioned both Elijah and Ahab, the king who was the the dominant king during the, the reign of Elijah, at least the one that we connect Elijah with most often. But you then entitle a chapter, Bitter Grief, and you bring into focus a character by the name of Naomi. This is a story that may be less familiar. The name Naomi may not even be a familiar Bible name for people. Help us uh, understand what that story is all about and why it's so important. Yes. Uh, Naomi and her family moved to Moab because there was a famine in the land. And there her husband dies and her two sons die. And that is very heartbreaking over in a seemingly short period of time to lose three people, uh, but especially children. You know, we have a, a term for uh, a person who loses a spouse, where we have widow and widower. We have a term for a person who loses their parents. We call them an orphan. We don't have a term for someone who loses their children. It's like we can't speak it. I don't know if there's a term in the Native uh, American language to describe that, but it's almost unspeakable, so we don't even give a name to it. It's so beyond nature that the younger should die before the older. And so there's a tremendous grief. So she lost her two sons, her only two sons, and that was a tremendous grief, a bitter grief for her. I think this really highlights something so important. As as we've been speaking about some of these different characters, some of the different challenges, some of those challenges are from external threats. They're from oppressive forces, whether it's Moses suffering the abuse of slavery in Egypt, whether it's Elijah suffering the wrath of King Ahab, uh, whether it's Jonah with some of the animosity between the people of Nineveh, the Assyrian Empire, and the Jewish peoples. But now we're coming to a story that I think everyone can relate to because it's true, people with uh, First Nations heritage, they often can relate to these stories of abuse. And in fact, many people of any background as we featured on this show in the recent past, abuse is something that's very prevalent even in majority cultures, whether it's happening in the home or in the workplace. But now we're talking about the realities of health and sickness and things that seem to happen. I mean, you can be at the top of the social ladder, if you will, and you can lose a child. So, Jeff, what does this tell us about not only depression, how things can pushes down from all kinds of perspectives, but how does Naomi ever get out of the uh, the pit that she finds herself in? Yeah, and so grief, depression is not necessarily always bad, right? There's clinical depression, there's situational depression. So we should be depressed when something like the death of a child or a death of a spouse or a loved one or any loss, right? You lose a limb, you lose a job, you lose a relationship. We should feel sad. I remember when my grandmother married over 50 years, her husband, my grandfather died, and she went to her general practitioner doctor to regular checkup and he asked how she was doing. She said, oh, I'm depressed. I'm feeling sad, you know. And he prescribed uh, depression medicine for her. And I don't want to get into whether medicines are good, bad, whatever. That's not the issue. But at that point in time, it was good for her to be depressed. It was right for her to be depressed. She should be depressed. Her husband just died. <laughs> you know, if you're not being depressed, then again, you're, you're ignoring reality. And then we can't move on. And the same with forgiveness, right? So when abuses happen to us, part of forgiveness is choosing not to allow their wrong to destroy my peace. And while I can expect and demand it be made right, they may not make it right. 
And if I have to wait for them to ask forgiveness, if I have to wait for them to repent, if I have to wait for them to make restitution before I have peace, before I forgive, I may never have peace. I may never forgive. They may never apologize. They may never make it right. They may never make restitution. They may die before I do. And if they never apologize, then I'm stuck with holding the bag of bitterness and resentment, right? So they, they drove on, you know, they, they moved on with their life and I'm still stuck in this for sometimes decades if we don't choose to allow their wrong to be their wrong and not double it up by making it my wrong by holding on to anger, bitterness, resentment. I need to get on with my life and, and sometimes just leave them with God. This is uh, just so important to be able to, yes, address the things we can address, but let go of the things that we need to let go. Jeff Zaremski, he is the author of the book, Depressed People of the Bible. As you heard earlier in this segment, you can get a copy at jewishheritage.net. You can also connect with Jeff there, but you don't have to wait to get a copy of the book. He's going to be telling us more in our final segment of today's show. Insights from this book that can help you, whatever cultural tradition you have, whether you're a First Nations person, whether you're just tuning into this show for the first time, you're not a Native American, you're wondering what Hebrew and Jewish heritage has to do with First Nation peoples. We'll be looking at some other great examples that I think are really practical in our final segment. Don't go away. More right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. If child abuse victims don't get counseling or help, they shall often become abusers themselves. The victim doesn't make the decisions... They just take the orders. I got help, and so can you. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit HealthyChildren.org. So I wanted to talk with you and your mom today, Lily, because some people at school have noticed changes going on with you, and we're concerned. Like what? Who? Some of your friends, teachers, it sounds like you've lost interest in a lot of things lately. You're hanging with new friends. So? So, individually, maybe those things are no big deal. But taken together, and then the incident the other day, you were with Derek when he was caught selling marijuana. Yeah, he was selling it. Honey, we know. But we care about you and, and want to know what's going on. That's right. We just want to understand better and see how we might help. And if weed is a part of it, we just want to make sure you understand the negative consequences for someone your age. The physical and mental health effects, the poor decision-making, and the confusing legal aspects these days. So what do you say? Can we talk? For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are indeed back with Dr. David DeRose for the final segment of today's edition of the broadcast. We are speaking about a topic that I've been making a strong case for is really relevant to everyone. Jeff Zaremski has been looking, digging into his cultural heritage. He is Jewish. He's been looking at people that he finds described in a book, often simply referred to as the Bible. But my point in featuring Jeff is not only are these stories powerful, not only did the book resonate with me, but it's something that I believe really resonates with a lot of topics that we deal with in Indian country. We want to segue to another character that you highlight in the book with this in mind, Jeff, and that is Jeremiah. Some of the folks who are listening, they've heard of Jeremiah. They may even realize that in the Bible, there's a book that's called Weeping, often referred to as Lamentations. It was written by Jeremiah. What was Jeremiah crying about? What was so traumatic in his experience? Yes, and he prophesied for a long time, about 40 years or so. And so he's weeping for a long time. Uh, one stage after another, Israel was collapsing, being attacked by Babylon, uh, and eventually Babylon does come and destroys the, the city, the capital, the temple, and takes many people captives, kills people, rapes people, and basically the whole nation gets captive, taken captive to Babylon as slaves. Very few are left in the land after that total destruction. And he saw it, and it was as a result of the, the sins of his own people, the leaders of his own people. He doesn't sugarcoat the mistakes of his nation. Uh, he tells it like it is. And then also Babylon that weren't good. So both sides were not good. And of course, as we listen to this narrative, a lot of folks are thinking maybe in a different way about Native American culture here in, in North America. And of course, many First Nation peoples guilty of nothing more than living in this country first, uh, at least from from many accounts. And yet they too were like the setting that Jeremiah found himself in. They were basically those who survived living amongst a lot of carnage of their people. And that's whether it was a, a genocide perpetrated in a given area, whether it was a, a forced march, there was all these elements, too. We'd speak of the Trail of Tears today, but Jeremiah lived in a time of a Trail of Tears, if you will, as well. Can you tell us about that? Yes, yeah, Trail of Tears. That's why his other book, Lamentations, that's what it's called, Lam Lamenting, Crying, right? Uh, it was very difficult. He's stuck in the middle. He's stuck between those two groups, and he was suicidal also. He also wanted to die. Uh, he was thrown into a pit. He was almost killed. And the way he dealt with it was to choose to accept the situation. We do have that power. We have freedom of choice. And no matter what's going on around us, even if we're in prison, he was in prison, uh, even if we're abused, we can choose to have hope, choose that there's a better plan, uh, choose, as the Bible describes, a heaven in store for, for those who trust God and love God. Uh, so he chose the higher ground than to let it to drag him down and sink him down. Yeah, this is uh, so powerful. We can actually make choices, even in the midst of our grief, even in the midst of our depression, that can either help bring us out of the pit, bring us out of that cave, as, as you use in the subtitle of your book, or can bring us deeper into darkness. 
So, Jeff, as we're talking about these topics, as we're we're highlighting some of these connections, I want to just again emphasize something and ask you a question about it because I'm really interested. I liked your book so much, and I liked how you've got all these practical questions at the end of each chapter. I know a lot of them, some people would say, are written more for people that come from a Jewish or Christian spiritual heritage because there are some spiritual aspects to the questions. But regardless of what a person's spiritual background is, I think you just bring out a lot of practical topics. So here's the question, and that is, if I said, hey, I've got 10 people here in my neck of the woods that would like to go through this book as a study, is there a way to get quantity discounts on the book? Yes, without a doubt, we'd be very happy to do quantity discounts. And is the best place to do that through jewishheritage.net, or do we do that through the publisher? You could do it through jewishheritage.net. Okay, well, so I'm already thinking about this. I'm, I'm thinking of some people that I think would benefit from this journey. In fact, if you're tuning in to American Indian and Alaska Native Living Today, I think there's a lot of folks who are dealing with mental health issues that just having this uh, practical uh, book that people can talk about, engage, a lot of nice discussion questions, I'd say there are probably, what, five, six, eight discussion questions at the end of each of the fairly short chapters? Yes. So, Jeff, there's a, a Bible figure that I think everyone has heard about, even if they're not of Jewish or Christian background, I think just about everyone has heard of King David. And many also have heard of King Saul. David and Saul, of course, were contemporaries. You feature both of them in your book in two separate chapters. Can you compare and contrast them for us today and maybe draw out some important lessons for us that can help us with our mental health? Yes, David is a very uh, popular character um, and looked at king of Israel and uh, looked at highly. And a lot of people don't think about it, but he had a very, very rough life. He was neglected as a child. We don't think about that. But uh, one time the prophet of Israel, prophet Samuel, is coming to visit his family. And David is left out with the sheep. All the other sons are invited to the dinner. And David is not. I mean, that should tell us something. His dad did not think very highly of him. I mean, couldn't you find somebody in town to watch the sheep for a night that David could come and meet the prophet? And then later on, there's a war, and uh, David's brothers are fighting in the war, and David's father sends David with some food to David's brothers. And he shows up, and they treat him horribly. Here he is with food for them. And they say, oh, you only came here because you want to see what's going on in the war. You know, Go take care of the sheep. I mean, they just are so rude to him. And it must have been something that they heard in the home and was accepted in the home. He was a runt or whatever. He was he was a neglected child, in a sense. And that's kind of shocking to think of that. How could he be treated that way? But that's some of the evidence that seems to be there. So we've got uh, someone who can relate to you, or at least you can relate to this person if you've dealt with abuse, if you've dealt with neglect, if you've been mistreated. It may be over racial issues, but it could be in your own home, like Jeff is pointing out in the case of David. This was not a cultural crime. It was a crime happening, if you will, a, an injustice, uh, a form of abuse happening in his own household. Jeff, David, though, he's been immortalized. I mean, people, when they speak about David, they usually speak very favorably. Statues are made of David and put in prominent places. But when it comes to Saul, not such a high regard. Saul was the first king of Israel, though, wasn't he? Yes, and Saul becomes David's boss. David gets a job with Saul because he kills Goliath, and uh, he's not appreciated there either. Saul tries to kill him, wants to kill him, chases him down. David's hiding in the wilderness, living in a cave, running for his life, literally, 
from Saul. And so, yeah, people get rejected at jobs, they get fired from jobs, not appreciated by their bosses as well. That's David's life. Uh, his, he has a wife who says some nasty stuff to him. Uh, Let me ask you this, Jeff. David is known for writing psalms, among other things. And I've been told, and you can help us uh, check this out for us from your Jewish heritage, I've heard that the psalms were really songs, the basically kind of the hymnal of the Hebrew nation. So do you think it's important if we're wanting to rise above mistreatment and depressing events in our lives, is it important to incorporate song? Does that have a role in this whole mental health equation? It can if they're good songs, right? Negative songs and you know, sometimes even music, tempo, can be depressing. So it has to be good music. But even that is not a cure-all. One of the reasons that David's hired by Saul is beyond the Goliath thing, is even hired before the Goliath thing to play the harp for King Saul because King Saul is depressed because he made wrong choices. And so, again, some depression comes because of other actions of other people, some is situational, the death in a life, uh, and some is because of wrong choices we make. And he was dealing with it because of wrong choices. So David's called to come and play the harp, and he does, and it soothes Saul. But then there comes a time where Saul is just so angry. David's playing the harp, and it doesn't work. Saul throws a spear at David to try and kill him. So it's helpful, but we cannot say that's going to be the cure. Wow, Jeff, you have written uh, so much, so many practical things in your book, Depressed People of the Bible. Our time has just about slipped away from us. For those who are wanting to pick up a copy, or maybe someone said, boy, this sounds really good, but I'm not sure if it relates to me. I've never read the Bible. I'm not Jewish. I'm not Christian. Is there a way maybe to pick up a sample chapter or get a better idea of what the book is like? Yes. So when we were in pre-publication, we had the sample chapter. We could still make that available to people. And uh, and we've been uh, posting articles on one chapter every so often at shalomadventure.com. And so that's another uh, website, shalomadventure.com, where we'll have various uh, articles posted from depressed people of the Bible. Okay, well, I've got two websites written down, shalomadventure.com and jewishheritage.net. With those two, I can tap into uh, a lot of the resources that you've shared. I can pick up a copy of the book. Jeff, it's been great to have you with us. Thanks for sharing uh, so many practical things with us today. Thank you, David. And thank you, each one who's joined us on today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose, hoping that today's show has really pointed you in the direction of better mental health, regardless of whether you related immediately to Jeff's Jewish cultural heritage or whether it evoked ideas of your own native cultural roots. And as we wind up today, as always, I'm wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.